0: So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 1233 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is, what, the 19th of September, 2022. This is episode 616 of Bitcoin. And have you heard of... Bitcoin Island, Philippines. Yep, that's Bitcoin Island, Philippines. At Bitcoin Island, PH, all one word. You've heard of Bitcoin Beach, El Salvador, but have you heard of Bitcoin Island, Philippines? Boracay Island has over 100 plus shops, restaurants, and hotels. Accepting Bitcoin Lightning. I assume that means Bitcoin over the Lightning Network. Check out pouch.to forward slash Bitcoin Island. And the tweet here comes with a nice handy little map that shows all of these little places accepting Bitcoin and Lightning on this island of Boracay. So Bitcoin spreads. That's right. Despite the rumors of an untimely demise, Bitcoin is still turning over blocks Every ten minutes. What am I referring to? Well, I'm referring to Bloomberg decided to call Bitcoin tulips again and said that it's going to fail because the Fed is raking, rating, or uh, oh, hold on, is raising rates, and Bitcoin's dead as the tulip that that it is. So again, adding another yet one more Bloomberg article to the Bitcoin obituaries page. If you don't know about Bitcoin obituaries, just search Bitcoin obituaries and have a laugh at the well over 200 articles that have been straight up wrong about the early demise of Bitcoin. Now, let's get into this one here. Well, before we do that, let's do let's do boostograms first. These are the boostograms that I received off of uh, show what 615. Which was what, last Wednesday? Yeah, Thursday and Friday ended up being really weird, but you know, hey, I'm back on Monday, even if it is late. At Pitar has me at ten thousand SATS, bro. He says, Hey David, are you seeing boosts in Podverse PS? Great show. Thanks, Pitar. I don't know anything about Podverse yet. I'm still behind the times. I'm I'm i I'm I'm a Luddite. I I'm I'm damn near almost I'm almost Amish at this point. No, I'm just just kidding. Letter six one seven three with uh, striper boost, seven thousand seven hundred and seventy seven sat says use coin control, consider flag theory, stay healthy, or everything else is useless. Yeah, you ain't lying. Uh, Elf dub seven one thousand and ten sats. So what's your favorite edge effect example outside of Bitcoin? What was the inspiration for your unique and insightful or yeah, insightful intro, by the way, he also says CSW is a fraud and CSW is indeed a fraud. Ah, uh, F seven. Okay. My favorite edge effect outside of Bitcoin is the edge between a forest and a pasture. And if you, Find yourself where you can see, like, it doesn't even have to be a big pasture. That's not the point. The point is you're looking for a line between the trees that are the forest and then a huge grassy, you know, very large grassy area. And you can find them, like I find them all the time in like the uh, San Juan mountains or, you know, I don't know where you're at, but if you know where a forest is, drive your happy ass out there and start looking for where a forest meets a field. And right at that line, you're going to see, of course, the field and the forest, but right on the line where those trees first start, you're going to see a bunch of like undergrowth bushes. And it's almost, I'm generally speaking, it's almost impossible to get into the forest, breaking through that line without getting scratched or having to move a whole bunch of branches and shit out of the way. And then almost immediately you're into forest and there's no more bushes and there's no more brush and that edge right there is my favorite edge of all time because where that edge is there's so much more sunlight and it allows things that won't grow out in the middle of the field nor can grow under the canopy of the forest they only grow right there at that edge and generally speaking, you'll find berry bushes and like wild strawberry, depending on where you are, but while, you know, wild berry bushes, I don't just automatically see a blueberry and assume that it's a non-poisonous blueberry. You're going to get yourself killed if you don't know what you're doing. But a lot of times there's where you'll, where you'll find stuff like that. Raspberries, you'll find them on the edge where there's a lot of water running, but those are those highly productive zones is where these two biomes smash together, and all of a sudden they create this strip that only these certain things can live there and can live almost nowhere else. And it's a beautiful thing to behold. so there there there's my answer to that one. elf dub seven with another four hundred and forty four sat says, thank you for adding the talking point of purchase time and time chain depth to the KYC, non-chain KYC debate. The cost of attack is rarely discussed outside a sovereign individual, the book. As with many things, Twitter makes it a solid line, one or the other only issue. Uh, Bitcoin 101 with 420 sat says, Bitcoin and is the podcast version of top flight motherfucking security. Not just number one on the app, but the world. Well, sadly, I'm no no longer number one on uh the fountain app, that's okay. I had my time in the sun for damn near a week, being on top. But I guess Oscar was finally able to fix the issue or whatever issue was causing this. And I've dropped back down to, you know, like I think number 12 yesterday. I haven't looked at it today because I'm not really all that I'm not really all I just thought it was funny. I'm not that concerned about it. Uh I got Sparky 100101 oh, oh, with 210 sats, Chris Chartel 16 with 100 sats, uh, Tass with 100 sats, Shy Billy with 100 uh, with 67 sats, Dido with 60, EarBTC with 15, and we just go down from there. But I got a lot of boostergrams from you guys. I got 23 overall, and many of you actually took the time to write something, and I appreciate that because that kind of Gets me to talk about other things. But now that the boostograms are over, we're going to talk about this thing. Finally, Bitcoin limits external influence on South America. As usual, I try to start with South American news because it is so important. And this is written by Vinicius Pisini. I think that's how you pronounce it from Bitcoin magazine. Despite the great growth potential of countries in Latin America, such as Brazil, Argentina, Chile, and even Paraguay, external influences contribute to the stagnation and purposeful economic decline of these countries. We can affirm that the international protagonism that such potential would provide in normal times of fair competition is dwarfed by the manipulations of great powers, predominantly the United States and China. Several players are interested in exerting their influence in the developing world. The American financial system, characterized by the hegemony of the dollar and international reserve and the relevance of American monetary policy for other countries, ensure that the United States is on an unreachable footing in the diplomatic arena. Bitcoin can be a scourge for this thanks to its decentralized system and, more importantly, the fact that it has no controlling body not even a known founder making it impossible for unfair competition when we analyze chinese interference tactics we observe the predatory lending by which china has completely dominated countries like the maldives and sri lanka this is currently happening in many south american countries as well There is also the direct creation of military bases, such as in, can't pronounce it, but this name of some town, in the Nuquen province in Argentina, being built under the guise of a space station. (laughs) Other than this, we see the great influence that the Chinese system exerts all over the continent in the form of policies adopted there that have been tried in China, something very evident after the control measures taken on the pretext of COVID-19. The United States has a more visible and prominent influence, especially economically and demographically, over some South American countries such as Brazil and Colombia. It's worth recognizing that the United States is not only an economic power, but also an institutional one. The dominant political class of this country has more power to manipulate international laws whether through the UN or even through bilateral agreements or joint actions. A prime example is the Paris Agreement, in which the United States is now the main promoter. Kissinger, Henry Kissinger, is not only responsible for the economic rise of China, which has been occurring progressively since the 1970s due to the financing promoted by his policies, but he is also responsible for responsible for an American foreign policy that aims at the economic downgrading of developing nations in various ways. This is mainly achieved with emphasis on population reduction and the establishment of the non-proliferation of nuclear weapons. Everything has passed through the sieve of authorities in most of the developing countries as a mere diplomatic compromise, as well as an opportunity for capitalization that was promised by the American government. In such a way the control of the international monetary system is crucial for the implementation of such measures not only to exert pressure on non-compliers but also to pass the subsidies on or sorry but also to pass on subsidies to the most committed ones in a document called the Kissinger report which was a secret document until the 1990s and was passed on to the embassies of 107 countries Kissinger called for the containment of population growth and its decrease through a wide dissemination of contraceptive methods and abortion in the United States. Oh, sorry. (laughs) This is an interesting sentence. Agents. I, I, okay, let's try this again the wide dissemination of contraceptive methods and abortion in the United States Agency for International Development Program. There we go. He also called for the strengthening of advertisements that promote the desire not to procreate and the control of prices and numerous inputs that are necessary for a desirable rate of procreation and are crucial for lasting economic development. The deindustrialization of the Southern Hemisphere has always been a desire of the great Anglo-Saxon empire after the 18th century, once under the tutelage of the UK and now with the US as the central figure. As a way to guarantee the perpetuity of the project, another policy explicitly advocated not only by Kissinger, but by all the global institutional apparatuses, was the non-proliferation of nuclear weapons, which came to provoke a diplomatic imbalance at the negotiation table between some developed countries in the Northern Hemisphere and the developing countries in the Southern Hemisphere, unequivocally. Once the weakening of the dollar becomes more and more apparent, it will weaken the enforcement capabilities of such destructive measures as control of the financial system is imperative to their implementation. Bitcoin as a currency impossible to counterfeit by any government or private entity will be crucial in ensuring that outside powers will not replicate these methods of unfair competition and subversive control. All right, so that's the end of the article Uh, ah, Kissinger. Okay. It wasn't Kissinger's policies. Kissinger wrote them for Nixon. Nixon's administration is the one that implemented it. So it's technically Nixon's deal and not Kissinger, but Kissinger was the mastermind behind most of this bullshit. And when it comes to China and Nixon and Kissinger, the only thing that you need to remember is only Nixon could go to China. If you don't understand the reference, I can't help you there. Uh, We have to move on. Otherwise, I would try to help, but I can't because we ain't got no time. Uh, And here we are with the Daily train wreck. Yep, I haven't done one of these in a while, so let's get to it. Gavin Andreessen. Is responding to WizSec Bitcoin Research. Uh WizSec Bitcoin Research or Wiz Security says, sorry, Gamut Andreessen. I know you regret your participation and endorsement and just want to move on and pretend it never happened, but this is what your silence has wrought. It's unfair, but this is on you. People will keep being hurt by your mistake until you set things right. He's referring to the bamboozlement of Gavin Andreessen by uh, Craig Wright when Gavin came out and proclaimed that Craig Wright was indeed Satoshi. So what does Gavin say in response to this? He says, I don't trust my memories. I am just as susceptible to false memories as anybody, and I've seen the research, and he gives a link to the paper, The Fallibility of Memory in Judicial Processes. What he's saying is that he's a scared little bitch and he doesn't want to come out and confront Craig Wright by saying anything at all. So he blames fallible memory. He's literally blaming his memory as to why he can't come out and, 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 and help out here and say he got bamboozled and Craig Wright is not Satoshi. And no, no, no. He's not even going to lift a finger to help our buddy Hodel or not in this bullshit Whatever trial that's going on in Oslo, Norway, that doesn't seem to be going well for Craig, but be that as it may, this is a grown-ass man. Gavin Andreessen is a grown-ass man, and he can't lift a finger, not a single solitary finger, to help this dude out there in Oslo who's basically being beaten up by a whole gang of bullies. And he just doesn't want to do it because he's he's fearful that his memory might not be as as good as it once was. Jeez, man, I'm I'm telling you, there are some real characters in this space, dude. Let's move on. How the incentives of proof of work are more fair than proof of stake. Mickey Koss, writing for Bitcoin Magazine. As Ethereum completes its transition to proof-of-stake consensus, I can't help but notice the plethora of articles citing 99% reduction in energy usage. The claims, however true, are misguided and counterproductive. Proof-of-stake validators need to lock up a bunch of coins in order to earn the privilege of validating transactions. Though this does not eliminate the need for mining and therefore reduces power consumption, the incentives are such that the Ethereum network will progressively become more and more centralized. The stakers will receive a cut of the transaction fees, as well as the new Ether issuance for essentially making a portion of their stack illiquid. The counterparty risk-free yield incentivizes staking. The more you stake, the more you earn. However, the more you earn, the more you can stake. It's a positive feedback loop ensuring the largest bag holders can always stay ahead of the pack in terms of accumulation. With the way proof of stake works, it will also ensure that the biggest hodlers can always exert more influence over the network. Staking ETH as a full validating node requires 32 ETH, the counterparty risk-free yield ensures That the biggest bag holders can and will have the most nodes to generate the most income. In doing so, they can slowly but surely accumulate more and more control. Combined with the deflationary claims from their fee burning, the price may very well go up in fiat terms. However, the more expensive ETH gets, the more out of reach it will get for the average pleb to fire up a staking node. In addition, the complexity and risks associated with staking will also ensure a steady stream of outsourcing demand for staking. According to EthHub. Beacon nodes are intended to be high-performance, highly available platforms. As such, their hardware requirements are anticipated to be server-grade CPU SSD networking connections, end quote. Furthermore, slashing risk, coupled with inactivity risk, means that there are monetary penalties to your staked ETH for simply losing your internet connection. This basically guarantees that the majority of staking will be sent to solutions like Coinbase and other big exchanges. I don't have server-grade equipment with 24-7 internet guaranteed. Do you? The more the staking supply centralizes, the easier it will be for governments to co-opt and censor. Just because it doesn't happen right away doesn't mean that it won't happen in the future. The possibility of such censorship alone is enough to give pause. Proof of work, on the other hand, requires real-world inputs. The cost of electricity breeds innovation as mining service providers find novel ways to harness electricity. There is much to be said along these lines, but the proof is in the pudding. Companies are already working with landfills and gas companies to harness and cap methane and wasted gas sources, thus reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Miners are also being harnessed to unlock thermal energy trapped inside the ocean, a technique which has been theoretical until now because of the economic viability. There are too many stories like this to be written about in one article, but the incentives are clear. Bitcoin mining economics are driving innovation toward a cleaner and more sustainable energy future. Variable costs are also a blessing and not a curse. Where proof of stakeholders may only have to pay taxes on income, proof of work companies are frequently forced to sell in order to cover a plethora of input costs and capital expenditures. This ensures a more consistent distribution of coin. The truth is that Bitcoin's protocol is simply more fair anyone can run a node for about 250 bucks and validate their own transactions. The 32 ETH required to spin up a node costs about $50,000 at the time of writing, putting it essentially out of reach for basically anyone outside of the western 1%. Proof of work is the innovation that drives energy innovation and novel ways to harness wasted resources. Proof of stake ensures the richest among us will continue to control the others who will never be able to catch up. To me, that sounds a lot like a more complex version of what we already have. That's right, Mickey Koss. That's what I've been screaming for at least a year right now. Is that all Ethereum is, is a digital version of what we've already had. What we already have. And what we will continue to have. And you're and Ethereum and the Ethereum Foundation and all the people behind it are doing nothing more them staking their flag into the the f- fiat system that we already have, because to them, all they really want, I think, is to just get rich and remain that way. And they're not really interested in a new, wonderful, possible future for humankind. It's just more of the same. And this goes back to the, my, my theory of human nature that we're always going to be dealing with this because there's something that uh, so many people that are quote unquote humans, it's so easy for them to, to literally just be as greedy as fuck without any thought to the consequences of their fellow humans, how they sleep at night. I don't know. I really don't, you know, I mean, it's like, yeah, if, if, I mean, if a bear's chasing me out of like the woods and, you know, you got me into flat open ground and shit like that, then I only have to be faster than the slowest motherfucker behind me. Okay. That I do, unless it's one of my children or a family or a friend member, then I might, you know, figure out. But if I don't know the motherfucker, I'm, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to run on, but this is not a bear attack. This is, if if it was a bear attack, then you're talking about the bear, you know, a bear the size of the moon attacking well over 99% of the human population. All right. That's what the fiat system is doing. It's been attacking 99% of the human's population on this planet for decades. And the Ethereum Foundation and the switch to proof of stake is just more of the same. If anything, Maybe it's a little bit more efficient. I don't know. Time will tell, however, how this shit shakes out. You know, a lot of people were like going, oh, they're going to convert to proof of stake and it's going to stall the chain. I didn't think it was going to stall the chain. Oh, proof of stake is going to happen and I don't know, something, some signal is going to like flash like a red flag or something that is instantly recognizable as a failure. And I never thought that that was going to happen this time. I kind of expected another delay, but eventually they were going to do this shit and it was going to be successful because what did they do? They took the entire ledger that had been mined up until that time and they essentially converted it into a database with read-write permissions. And who has those permissions? Those who have more ETH than you do. That's who has read-write permissions to that fucking database. And that's all they did. That's why I knew it wasn't going to fail. There wasn't a whole lot of stuff that had to really be done. All they did is take a snapshot of what was going on at block or difficulty level 150 billion trillion or whatever that number was. And they just copied and pasted it into an Excel sheet with read-write permissions for only the wealthiest Ethereans. That's all that happened. And if you think something else happened, I got bridges all over the desert southwest to sell you. Okay, it's all fun and games until somebody has fun and games. Joseph Hall tells us more. Coin Telegraph, Solitaire, Counter-Strike, Snake. How casual gaming could be a huge Bitcoin on-ramp. You can now play Solitaire, Snake, and even Counter-Strike to earn Satoshi's Tiny Fractions of a Bitcoin Uh, By using the, uh, the platform, the company built around Bitcoin and ZBD, a gaming platform that will transform gaming with the power of Bitcoin. Thanks to the Lightning Network, a layer two payment solution built on top of Bitcoin, instant microtransactions and satoshis can pay out to gamers across the globe quickly. This genuinely fixes a need in gaming, Ben Cousins, chief strategy officer at ZBD, told Cointelegraph. ZBD offers Bitcoin and LN support for popular games such as Counter-Strike Go. They promote casual gaming and the creation of inviting environments that could bring people into Bitcoin in a way that surprises them. For Thunder, T-H-N-D-R, which released a solitaire-style mobile game on Monday, the rollout of popular casual gaming types is also about onboarding people into Bitcoin. They actively target gamers in emerging markets as well as female audiences. Desiree Dickerson, CEO and co-founder of Thunder Games, shared some statistics with Cointelegraph during a call, quote, 60% of all women worldwide play games and 60% of these women play mobile games every day, end quote. On top of that, the gaming industry is bigger than the movie industry. Around 2.6 billion people worldwide play games and within that segment, mobile gaming is the most popular. Quote, it makes up 60% of the entire gaming market And it's only increasing in quote Dickerson explained the release of club Bitcoin solitaire specifically taps into the growing female audience segment quote, the mission is to onboard people into Bitcoin, but we are never going to make a game that is not a good game. We don't want to just target Bitcoiners nonstop. It's about making an excellent game that has Bitcoin inside of it. Around 60% of Thunder Game users are located in the global south, the popular touch point for Bitcoin companies. Emerging markets suffer from unstable regimes, volatile currencies, and weaker socioeconomic development. In this environment, Bitcoin the asset can provide an economic lifeline to many, and thanks to near-instant payment rails and Bitcoin-centric games, Bitcoin the protocol now offers a means of escapism as well as small economic rewards. At ZBD, for example, the average transaction size is tiny, just two United States pennies. Cousins told Cointelegraph, Gaming and Bitcoin enlightening is a huge on-ramp for Bitcoin adoption, sharing that Brazil is an important territory for their user base, followed by the Philippines, both countries with an emergent crypto adoption that is thriving. Furthermore, both Dickerson and Cousins illustrated that gaming is a way of onboarding people into Bitcoin without ideology. The Bitcoin and crypto spaces are rife with infighting, dunking, and told-you-sos, whereas gaming, particularly idle gaming, is a more laid-back environment in which users can start stacking sats. Thunder has successfully sent over 1.5 million rewards over the Lightning Network and garnered a growing audience of devoted fans. All of its games on the Apple App Store boast ratings of 4.5 stars or more. Quote, We are almost first and foremost thinking about the pure joy of play, Dickerson explained. For Cousins, who is well aware of the risk of hyper-financialization of gaming products, he explains it's hard to underestimate the role that casual gaming could play in Bitcoin adoption. Quote, A bad casual mobile game has like 10 million downloads. You get one or two games, you dwarf El Salvador. End quote. El Salvador could onboard a total population of 6.5%. 4 million people into earning saving and spending bitcoin thanks to the bitcoin law solitaire by comparison has 35 million monthly users according to microsoft and that's just one game yeah might want to let that one sink in moving on why bitcoin is pristine collateral for lending yeah you know what uh, let's, let's run the numbers first. We're coming up on, uh, the 30 minute mark. So let's get that done first. And, uh, yeah, let's run the numbers. CNBC, Bitcoin. Oh God. I screwed that up. You know what? Not even going to go back and correct it. You guys know, you guys know I screwed it up. CNBC futures and commodities, Although there's not much futures going on here because it's actually closing bell on the East Coast. So the markets are already closed. Uh, Oil, West Texas Intermediate, up a scant 0.13% to $85.22. Brent North Sea, up a third of a point to $91.64. OPEC defending the $90 peg. Natural gas is up 1.76%, but apparently fell quite a bit over the weekend because it's only at $7.90 per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline up 1.88% to $2.45 a gallon. Shiny metal rocks having a good day, except for Peter Schiff. Gold is the only shiny metal rock that's down 0.02% to the downside, bringing it in at $1,683. Silver is up two-thirds of a point. Platinum is up two and a quarter of a point. Copper, even copper's up 0.16%. Palladium, Jesus, to the moon, five and a half percent to the upside. Agricultural agricultural stuff is mixed. Wheat was the biggest loser today, three point five percent to the downside. Who is the biggest winner? Coffee, three point one six percent to the u- upside, and everything else, like I sa- said, is mixed. Indices: Dow was up 0.62%, percent, S and P. Is up 0.67%. Nasdaq up 0.74%, and the S&P Mini up one and one quarter percent. Real money having some struggling days lately with the rate hikes from the Fed. Uh, 19,525 bucks with 1.13 million BTC trading hands in the 24-hour period. That's 47,400 BTC every hour on the hour. Average transaction value of 4.68 BTC, a median transaction value of 0.02 BTC, or just under 400 bucks. Block times are only slightly increased, 10 minutes and 8 seconds, 0.087 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, and 12.5 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24-hour period. With a 10.15% drop in hash rate, we're still at 238 Exa hashes per second. Oh, Dogecoin, your shitcoin indicator has fallen below six United States pennies, coming in at 5.8 United States pennies. 7,500 transactions waiting on six blocks to clear with a $372.9 billion market cap Bitcoin owns 3.38% of all of gold's market cap. And if you so choose, you may buy 11.7 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,155,048. And 4,792 of them bad boys are chilling out in the Lightning Network, valued at $93.3 million, being run over 17,213 nodes, sporting 84,973 payment channels, that's going to do it for vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. <coughs> Jaron Malud from Bitcoin Magazine has this one. Five factors making Bitcoin miners unique energy consumers. Most people disregard Bitcoin miners as simply yet another energy intensive industry, but there is one big difference. Bitcoin miners are uniquely flexible concerning when and where they consume energy. Arcane Research's new report titled How Bitcoin Mining Can Transform the Energy Industry found five factors making Bitcoin miners unique energy consumers, which I will explain here. A price responsive energy consumer is financially incentivized to adjust its energy consumption based on the energy price. Bitcoin miners refine energy into Bitcoin and are only financially incentivized to do so if the energy input is priced lower than the Bitcoin output. The chart below shows the break-even energy price of mining Bitcoin during 2021 and parts of 2022. This break-even energy price is the dollar-denominated income per megawatt hour of energy fed into a Bitcoin mining machine, in this case, an Antminer S9. Suppose a Bitcoin miner's price per megawatt hour increases above this line. In that case, the miner is financially incentivized to turn off its machines as it would earn less by using this energy for Bitcoin mining than it would pay for the energy itself. Since energy is such a significant component in the cost structure, miners always pay attention to their energy prices and can calculate their break-even energy prices with certainty. During energy scarcity events, the spot energy price will rise far higher than the miner's break-even energy price, incentivizing miners to curtail production and let the energy flow to less price-responsive energy consumers, like households. Not only are Bitcoin miners financially incentivized to stop consuming energy if spot energy prices rise above their break-even energy price, but they are also fully able to do so due to the interruptible nature of the Bitcoin mining process. A miner can interrupt its production and energy consumption at a moment's notice without losing more money than the alternative cost of not producing Bitcoin. It can not only interrupt its consumption, but also granularly adjust it up or down in kilowatt increments. The interruptibility of the Bitcoin mining process becomes apparent when comparing a Bitcoin mining facility to a conventional data center. A conventional data center performs many complex processes and must maintain uptime due to its customers. Uptime is so critical for data centers that they are categorized from Tier 1 to 4 based on their uptime guarantees and power redundancies. Bitcoin miners and some other high-performance computing processes are the only interruptible data center processes. Since Bitcoin mining is an interruptible and price-responsive load, The process is exceptionally suitable as a demand response tool that can help strengthen electricity systems. Most energy-intensive industries produce physical products that require access to supply chains. On the other hand, Bitcoin miners produce hashes sold through the internet. Therefore, a Bitcoin mining facility can generally be built in any location with cheap energy and internet access. The location agnosticism of Bitcoin mining makes it possible to take the energy consumer directly to the energy source. Bitcoin miners are the ultimate customers of previously stranded energy resources, which is why oil producers have started to use natural gas that they otherwise would flare to mine Bitcoin. The location agnosticism of Bitcoin mining becomes clear when looking at a map of Texas Bitcoin mining operations. They are almost all located in the desert in the far west of the state where they feed on the region stranded wind and solar. And they are not lying. I'm looking at the map entitled Bitcoin mining operations in Texas. And there are almost all of these are in far west in well, west Texas all the way to far west Texas. And one of these, and I don't know which one it is. I don't think this map is now, map's not interactive, but one of these, the farthest west, is in a region of Texas that I know to be absolutely desolate. And now, like east of Lubbock, it's not so bad. East of Amarillo, it's not so bad. You get down into Midland and Midland Odessa, I don't know, man, starts to get really, really dicey. You know, there's no farming in Midland. There's a shit ton of farming in Lubbock, but that's because Lubbock gets more rain than Midland does. Out in Midland, it's basically, if it ain't, if ain't got an oil field on it, then it ain't nothing but either ranch pasture or just, you know, plains pasture. It, and the only other thing that it can sport at that point, uh, agricultural wise, is the drilling and production of commodity oil and gas. That's it. I, believe me, I know. I, I grew up there. I know exactly what that land is capable of producing, and it's basically cows and oil and gas. That's it. It can't produce anything else. It doesn't have enough rain. It's a sun-blasted, microwave-to-death part of the desert. And I'm glad that I got out, honestly, because that place was getting freakishly dismal, man. But yeah, I mean, all of this stuff is out in like West Texas, and it's hot and dry and really not not worth that not worth as much as you'd think now continuing on a bitcoin mining machine consumes a specific amount of electricity and it's possible to combine different amounts of these machines into different levels of load whether an energy asset owner wants a bitcoin mining load of five megawatts 20 megawatts or 100 megawatts doesn't matter all load sizes are possible by changing the number of machines The modularity of Bitcoin mining makes it possible to design a Bitcoin mining load to match the available energy generation capacity. This is especially relevant when matching the Bitcoin mining load with the excess production capacity of a stranded renewable energy generator to improve its economics. We can design a Bitcoin mining load in specific ways to maximize portability. Filling specially designed shipping containers with mining machines has recently emerged as a way to optimize that portability. These container solutions are designed after the plug and play principle and can quickly be shipped to other locations if needed. The portability of Bitcoin mining makes it easy to move a mining facility to soak up excess energy and quickly move that facility to another location. If the energy stops being in excess of the first location. In conclusion, Bitcoin mining possesses a combination of properties that makes it uniquely flexible energy consumer. This flexibility allows Bitcoin miners to provide positive externalities to various energy systems globally, including strengthening vulnerable electricity grids, improving the economics of renewable energy, mitigating natural gas flaring, and lowering heating costs by repurposing waste heat. What makes Bitcoin mining such an aspiring energy tool isn't simply that it's a uniquely flexible energy consumer, but that the financial incentives add up. With similar incentives, the Bitcoin mining and energy industries are destined to work together to solve some of the biggest energy problems. You can read more about this in Arcane Research's full report, which they've linked to there. And that's the end of that particular article. Moving on. Indian Exchange Wariz-X, W-A-R-I-R-X. Sorry, WazirX W A R I R X sorry W A Z I R X It's a Monday folks what can I say Indian Exchange WazirX follows Binance in delisting USDC another one bites the dust hell and parts Coin Telegraph major Indian cryptocurrency exchange WazirX has opted to delist the USD coin or USDC from its platform and convert the remaining bounces into Binance-backed Binance USD stablecoin. Wasirix officially announced on Monday that it has stopped deposits of USDC alongside of other stablecoins like Pax Dollar and True USD. According to the announcement, the platform will instead offer the BUSD stablecoin to enhance liquidity and capital efficiency for users. Wazirx will implement BUSD auto conversion for users' existing balances of USDC, USDP, and TUSD at a one to one ratio on October the 5th, the firm said. Quote Users will be able to view their USDC, USDP, and TUSD balances under the BUSD denominated account balance when the conversion is complete, the exchange noted. Wazirx may amend the list of stablecoins eligible for auto conversion. The announcement added, withdrawals of USDC, USDP, and TUSD will still be available on Wazirx until Friday. The platform then plans to delist the stablecoins from its spot trading pairs on September the 26th, according to data from CoinGecko. Wazirx was trading an insignificant amount of USDC before the announcement. At the time of writing, the only USDC trading pair listed on Wazirix is USDC trading against Tether or USDT with $3,400 worth in daily volumes. In contrast, BUSD has two trading pairs on Wazirix trading against the USDT stablecoin and the Indian rupee with daily trading volumes amounting to $5,700 and $5,200 respectively. Wazirix did not immediately respond to Cointelegraph's request for comment. Launched by the regulated fintech firm Circle and the Coinbase crypto exchange, USDC is the second largest stablecoin by market capitalization following Tether USDT. At the time of writing, USDC's market cap amounts to $50 billion or down more than $17 billion from the rival stablecoin USDT. Binance USD, which is the third largest stablecoin by value, has a market cap of $20.6 billion. According to CoinGecko, the latest delisting of USDC from Wazirix comes shortly after Binance announced their plans to remove USDC as a tradable asset from its platform. Similarly to Wazirix, Binance said that it will auto-convert USDC, USDP, and true USD bounces into BUSD stablecoin to expand liquidity. In August, Binance denied any equity ownership in Wazirx after the Indian crypto exchange came under regulatory scrutiny. India's Directorate of Enforcement previously froze more than $8.1 million in funds on Wazirx as part of an anti-money laundering investigation against the firm. So Circle is not having a very good last couple of weeks. And I'm not, I'm not sure why. I I I I kind of don't get it, other than the possibility that maybe uh, you know CZ is uh, making phone calls and getting his buddies to delist um, his competition. Like I said, the human spirit is replete with greed. I wouldn't put it past him, but I don't know. I I I make absolutely no prognostications as to whether I know anything about what the hell's going on in CZ's head but it does seem that something has occurred that has put USDC in a unfavorable light as concerns uh, Binance and WazirX and I expect we'll hear more about this and we'll also hear that more exchanges have delisted USDC um I honestly I I while I don't really care about stable coins I know that they're used and I know a lot of Bitcoiners use them for you know trading and whatnot, but since I don't trade, I, I don't really need such an instrument. Uh, but something's not right here. I'm not. I'm not. I hate fucking Circle. They're a terrible Bitcoin company. They're an anti-Bitcoin company. But still, there's something about this delisting pattern that doesn't sit right with me. I think there's something going on behind the scenes. If you know what the hell's going on. Give me a boostogram and tell me what the hell's going on and I will look into it. I swear to God, man. I swear. I will. I promise. Ethereum fork, EthPow, suffers a bridge replay exploit. The token tanks 37%. (laughs) Andrew Asmakov from Decrypt.co. EthPow, the proof of work blockchain forked from Ethereum that went live shortly after Ethereum's transition to proof of uh, stake last week, has fallen victim to a replay exploit that it resulted in an extra 200 ETHW tokens being siphoned by the attacker. Blockchain security company Blocksec revealed the incident on Sunday, saying that the attack happened through the Omni bridge on the Gnosis chain. Quote, On September the 16th, 2022, we detected... That some attacker successfully harvested lots of ETHW by replaying the message, i.e. the call data, of the POS chain on Ethereum Proof-of-Work, a.k.a. the Proof-of-Work chain, end quote. Blocksec wrote this in a Medium post. According to the security researchers, the attacker first transferred 200 WETH through the Omnibridge and then replayed the same message on the Proof-of-Work chain, getting an extra 200 ETHW. Quote, by doing so, the balance of the chain contract deployed on the proof-of-work chain could be drained, Blocksec said. The firm detailed that the root cause of the exploitation is that the Omnibridge on the proof-of-work chain uses the old chain ID and doesn't correctly verify the actual chain ID of the cross-chain message, adding that similar issues may exist in other protocols." Welcome to crypto motherfuckers. The price of ETHW token plummeted about 37% on the back of the news, hitting a fresh low of $4.22. Couldn't you have done $4.20? Earlier on Monday, according to CoinMarketCap, it currently trades now at just over $5. The developers behind ETHW protocol confirmed the incident. However... They insisted that the attack did not originate from the ETHW blockchain and only affected the Omni bridge, not the Ethereum proof of work network itself. Quote, ETHW has, or itself has enforced EIP-155 and there is no replay attack from ETHPOS and to ETHPOS, which ETH... CW core security engineers have planned in advance, the ETHW team said in a blog post. The developers also said that they have reached out to the Omni team to alert them of the exploit. Quote, we contacted the bridge in every way and informed them of the risks, the ETHW blockchain developer said, adding that bridges need to correctly verify the actual chain ID of the cross-chain message. ETHPOW, in case you're wondering, is a hard fork of Ethereum supported by a group of miners who declared their intention to preserve the proof-of-work chain following the merge, the commonly used term for the network switch to proof-of-stake. The chain was launched last week, shortly after the merge occurred. However, it got off to a rather bumpy start as the network faced several technical issues, including a chain ID issue. Notably, the possibility of a replay attack if ETHPOW failed to change its network chain ID from that of the Ethereum mainnet was raised some weeks before the merge. However, ETHPOW founder Chandler Wow insisted back then that those fears were overblown and told Decrypt that the network would change all chain IDs on its blockchain to prevent such an attack. Well, I guess they didn't. I don't know. Um, I'm not that much of a a follower of this, but it is going on because we, and and here's why it's important. Vitalik and Greenpeace are all walking around strutting about their 99% decrease in energy usage when they move to proof of stake. And Bitcoin should do it too. Well, even within the internal Ethereum, you know, plane of existence, whatever lollipop land that actually is. Even within their own ranks, they had dissent about this proof of stake thing. And we could see that with the creation of ETH POW. Now, some people are asking, and kind of including me, but I kind of know the answer to this already, but why they didn't just throw in their GPU miners with Ethereum Classic? Because all, all of the GPUs, they're still running. ETH didn't change a thing going to proof of stake. The exact same amount of electrons are being consumed for the exact same purposes to make money. It didn't do anything. I don't know what everybody, I don't know why everybody thought Vitalik was thinking that when proof of stake happened, that people would just put all their miners in a closet and let them collect dust. That was never going to happen ever. Period. Period. Right? He knew that they were going to continue to mine the chain. So the question becomes, why didn't they just throw in all, all in with ETH Classic? Well, ETH Classic forked right after the DAO hack back in 2016. It has a completely different history than what was going on on Ethereum's main chain proof of work before the merge to proof of stake. So there's a completely different story there that the people at ETH POW wanted to maintain and have that story as part of their chain fork that they committed 24 hours after the merge to proof of stake. So that's sort of why, because Ethereum Classic is there, like at the day after the DAO hack and Ethereum Classic was born, those two chains were 100% divergent. They don't contain anything that the other chain contains. There's no relevant information cross chain on either one of those platforms. So that's why they all these miners didn't rush immediately over to Eth Classic, and it took me a couple of days to figure that shit out. Because I was asking the question, what? Why would they? Why would they do this? It's to maintain the history of what happened on Ethereum post DAO hack, and right before the merge to POS. That's why Eth Proof of Work exists. But it looks like they're having one hell of a bad week now. SEC and Ripple both call for immediate ruling in the suit over whether XRP sales violated securities law. This is out of Coindesk, written by Nicholas Day. The United States Securities and Exchange Commission and Ripple Labs each want a federal judge to rule either that the crypto company affiliated with the XRP cryptocurrency violated federal securities laws or otherwise dismissed the lawsuit without requiring a lengthy trial. The SEC and Ripple both filed motions for summary judgment in the Southern District of New York asking District Judge Annalisa Torres to make a ruling based on the arguments filed in accompanying documents. The documents were posted to a federal court database on Friday. The SEC has sued Ripple Labs. CEO Brad Garlinghouse and Chairman Chris Larson on December, 2020, a day before former SEC Chair Jay Clayton stepped down from the role on allegations that it had raised over $1.3 billion by selling XRP in unregistered securities transactions. Ripple maintained that XRP sales and trading did not meet the tenets of the Howey test, a United States Supreme Court case that has acted as a way to determine whether something is a security for the last several decades. The parties have filed various discovery motions over the past two years without really litigating the actual underlying issue, whether Ripple violated securities law by selling XRP. The motion for summary judgment means the parties are asking the court to actually decide whether the SEC or Ripple has provided enough evidence to prove one way or another whether there was a violation or not. The SEC argued, among other things, that various statements by Ripple's executives demonstrate that Ripple sold XRP and XRP investors bought that cryptocurrency with the belief that their holdings would spike in value over time. Quote, Ripple publicly touted the various steps it was taking and would take to find a use for XRP and to protect the integrity and liquidity of the XRP markets, the SEC said in its filing. For its part, One of Ripple's arguments was that there was no contract between the company and XRP investors and that there was no common enterprise, which is one of the requirements under the Howey test. Many XRP holders buying through exchanges wouldn't have known who they were purchasing the tokens from, the company filing said. Even if the SEC were to engage in a belated post-discovery transaction-by-transaction analysis to identify XRP offers and sales with contracts, its claims would still fail as a matter of law. Not one of those contracts granted post-sale rights to recipients as against Ripple or imposed post-sale obligations on Ripple to act for the benefit of those recipients, the filing said. Uh, Who knows how this is going to go? But basically they're saying both the SEC and Ripple Labs are saying to the Southern District Court of New York, get off your ass. You have enough evidence Make a ruling. Do it now. And since both the SEC and Ripple are filing for that motion, the chances are very good we're going to find out what the hell's going to go on uh, from Judge Torres sometime probably this week. Uh, she's probably going to be, okay, all right. I'll, I'll rule. So uh, you know, do you believe XRP is a security? I do. I do. That's all I'll say about that shit. Now, South Korean authorities request Interpol red notice for Terra's Duquan. Woo! That's not good, by the way. Uh, That's, yeah, let's just get into it. Sujith Samraj has it for Decrypt.co. South Korean prosecutors have requested that Interpol issue a red notice against Duquan, the co-founder of the collapsed Terra ecosystem. According to a report in the Financial Times, the Seoul Southern District Prosecutor's Office has, quote, begun the procedure to to place Quan on the Interpol Red Notice list and revoke his passport, end quote. Interpol Red Notices are issued for fugitives wanted either for prosecution or to serve a sentence. Quan has yet to appear on the Interpol Red Notice site. Last week, South Korean prosecutors issued an arrest warrant against Kwon, accusing him of violating capital market rules. They also asked the finance ministry to void his passport. At the time, Kwon was believed to be a resident in Singapore, but police in Singapore subsequently confirmed that the Terra co-founder is no longer in the country. On Saturday, Duquan himself tweeted, quote, I'm not on the run or anything similar, adding that for any government agency that has shown interest to communicate, we are in full cooperation and we don't have anything to hide. Mm-hmm. I've heard that before. Launched in 2020, the Terra blockchain ecosystem was built around the algorithmic stablecoin Terra USD and its sister coin, Luna. And then we all know what happened there. But in June, a class action lawsuit was brought against Duquan and Terraform Labs in the United States District Court of North Carolina while the SEC revealed that it was investigating the collapse of UST. One month later, South Korean prosecutors raided the house of Daniel Shin, another co-founder of Terraform Labs, as part of the probe. South Korean President Yook Suk-yul has relaunched a financial crimes unit to investigate the collapse of the Terra uh, ecosystem further. Duquan has denied allegations that Terra was a fraud and has claimed that he lost almost his entire net worth in the crash. Yeah, bullshit. You're running. You're running, dude. You're running. Bankrupt crypto lender Celsius wants to sell its $23 million worth of stablecoin holdings. Uh, According to Tim Hockey from Decrypt.co, in the latest chapter of Celsius's ongoing liquidity crisis, which first became public when the lender froze customer withdrawals back in June, the bankrupt crypto lender has asked the United States Bankruptcy Court from the Southern District of New York for permission to sell its stablecoin holdings. Court filings from yesterday indicate that Celsius has asked for authorization to sell said stablecoins in order to pay for operations. The company previously released a coin report on Wednesday revealing that it has over $2 billion in liabilities from various cryptocurrencies. Its stablecoin holdings amount to approximately $23 million held in 11 different stablecoins. Should the motion be approved by Judge Martin Glenn, the chief U.S bankruptcy judge, Celsius will have liquidity to continue its daily operations without court or creditor oversight. That's important. Paying back its creditors, aka, you know, its customers, is a separate ongoing legal process, but Celsius's filing argues it's in everyone's interest for Celsius to monetize its stablecoin holdings in order to continue operations without having to secure additional financing. Unlike Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other leading cryptocurrencies, stablecoins have a fixed value since they're pegged to fiat currencies and thus thus form a relatively stable source of liquidity in crypto. Celsius's ongoing Chapter 11 bankruptcy proceedings are one high-profile case of what commentators have called a crypto winner or liquidity crisis. Since the collapse of the Terra ecosystem back in May, which came about when Terra's dollar-pegged UST stablecoin lost its peg, several high-profile crypto companies have filed for bankruptcy. First was Celsius in June, and then in July, Voyager and three-hour capitals followed suit. On September 1st, Celsius said in a court filing that it was seeking to return some of its customers' funds the company offered to release nearly fifty million in crypto belonging to customers who were part of the custody program uh, accounts that stored crypto but did not generate returns. Should Celsius's proposal be approved, the return funds would only cover a fracture of the lender's obligations. Custody accounts make up two hundred and ten million dollars in crypto, according to the filing. However, for customers who invested crypto in Celsius's popular earn program account for $4.3 billion in assets, there was no word on when they'll get their money back. Exactly one week later, a United States bankruptcy court filing revealed that Vermont state officials have asked for broader powers to investigate Celsius, alleging that the insolvent cryptocurrency exchange had artificially inflated the price of its CEL token at the expense of retail investors for the last three years. by increasing its net position in CEL by hundreds of millions of dollars, Celsius increased and propped up the market price of CEL, thereby Artificially inflating the company's CEL holdings on its balance sheet and financial statements, Vermont Assistant General Cous- uh, Counsel Ethan McLaughlin said. On Wednesday, Judge Martin Glenn appointed an independent examiner to oversee the Celsius bankruptcy case. The examiner will look into Celsius's crypto holdings, the utility obligations of his crypto mining business, recent changing changes to its off account offerings, as well as its compliance with tax and bankruptcy proceedings. So the shit show rolls on and it looks like it's going to roll downhill all over its customers because this is, if they sell all their shit, what they're saying is they're going to use it to pay bills operations. I'm not even sure how much of this is going to be earmarked for its liabilities Shit, that it's already lost. We're talking about when they say operations, they mean uh, paying their paying their people, their pay you know paycheck, electricity for the building, f- you know uh, phone bills. That's what they're talking about using this money to do. Celsius is dead. It's 100 dead at this point. It's just a walking zombie, bro. Walk away. Just walk away. That's gonna do it for the morning roundup which is actually the afternoon roundup, but whatever. It's Monday, so we've got to have a joke from Dad Says Joke. Dear optimist, pessimist, and realist, while you were arguing about the glass of water, I drank it. Signed, The Opportunist. If you want to support the show, podcasting 2.0 is the way to go. I use Fountain app. No, they're not a sponsor, but they probably should be because I talk about them all the time. Why? It's a damn fine app. It's getting cleaner. It's getting smoother. It's so much less buggy. Actually, it's like I haven't actually had, you know, aside from being, you know, number one for a damn full week (laughs) above all the other podcasts on their app, There is I haven't seen any bugs lately. I mean, it's like one of the, one of the reasons I wasn't using it for a long time is because it was heating up my phone while it was on, well, it, you know, and I, I wrote Oscar and I was like, Hey, Oscar, I'll use your app, but you, dude, you got to cool my phone off, bro. It's just like burning a hole in my ass. And it was, I mean, my phone was getting hot and they fixed it. And not only did they fix it, they added shit to it. It's great, man. It's a it's a great app. So you can give me boostograms. You can, show, I don't know, uh, shout out your kid's birthday if you want to dox your kid. You, you know, wedding anniversary if you want to dox, you know, an important day. I kind of recommend not doing to the day. Just say, hey, wedding anniversary is in June. Could you please announce it? I'll do it. I'll do it for a boost of gram. I mean, it's like, I love you guys, man. you all are my Bitcoiners. And if you don't want to do that, you can always just stream me sats on the same platform. You can just set it to crank over like, I don't know, two, five, 10, 20, 100 sats per minute. As you're listening to the show, you know, and to these dulcet tones, uh, you can stream me value for value. Just the way, just the way that dude named Adam Curry suggested so uh podcasting 2.0 is definitely my favorite way for anybody to support this show great big shout outs to texas slim slim miss you man but i'm really happy to hear that uh that bluffton georgia and the white the white oaks pasture conference went really well from what i understand it's It's better than the Kerrville conference. It was better than the uh, Colorado conference. It's just getting better. It's getting better. It's getting better. It's getting better. And as we add more and more people to this movement, then it's just going to get even better and better from there. So do your part, reach out to Texas Slim, tell them congratulations. um, And I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and...